Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stelvio Chronicles. I'm Sean Smith, the beautiful man behind the sound. Uh, and I'm joined today by Chris Strickland. Hello. And Alistair Walker from the West Country. Hello. And for some reason you've both gone really quiet. Hang on. Right. Um, yeah. So today, the Stelvio Chronicles, we're going to be talking about the absolutely pinnacle of motor racing, the British Touring Car Championship. Aren't we? Yay! <laughs> that, that was... We do generally like it when I'm just being depressed um, yeah. by the it, It's just annoying me. So, uh, British Touring Car Championship, brilliant, we love it, and that's the end of the podcast, not really. Um, because he started last weekend, um, new sort of, I suppose almost a new era in a way, in the way it's, 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 it's just brilliant. Chris, do you, do you want to start it off? <laughs> well, I think pound for pound, the British Touring Car Championship, pound for pound as in money, um, is probably the most exciting bit of, bit of motorsport maybe in the world. There hasn't been much national series, but I'd definitely say, for, at least for Britain anyway, it's much better pound for pound than Formula One. I mean, the race is just fantastic. When you've got a 36 car grid, I want to say. Something like that, yeah. Uh, I think they might have capped it now because I know the Handy Motorsport Alpha couldn't get an entry this year because they've capped the entry. I think mostly because places like Knock Hill, they were just constantly knocking each other off the track because there wasn't enough space. Well, 30 cars then. You know, 30 cars, all liveried up, all carpenters up to ex-professional race drivers in this year, as, as Mark Blundell, who I'm sure we'll get to at some point. Um, you know... I can't see or hear a better motorsport with such a variety of, of talent. Can you, Al? No, honestly, it's one of my favourites to watch, although I haven't seen the first race this year, but that's just because I follow uh, too many things. Disgraceful. Good thing me and Chris have watched it. So, going into BTCC, we're going to talk about the new season, uh, look at the free races, well, me and Chris are, I'm going to look at the free races which happened last weekend. And we're also going to talk about the BTCC in general. Look at a bit of the historical side, which we've, we've all been, we all have some insight on. And it's going to be a good show. So let's crack on. BTCC started at round one this year, 2019, at uh, Brands Hatch Indie Circuit. The uh, I think it's their normal first round stomping round these, these days. It is, yeah, it tends to be the season often. Yeah, so they had obviously it's a, it's about one minute or less uh, lap time. Uh, Front-wheel drive versus rear-wheel drive in terms of their production-based touring cars. We had a one, two, three, four, four, six, seven. I counted about 10 uh, manufacturers, or at least different types of cars uh, from different manufacturers. And uh, it was a cracking show. So let's start. So before we get on, we should say the defending champion going into 2019 was Colin Turkington. And um, we had a... What's he driving, John? Uh... Uh, I've got this written down. I'll tell you, John, he's driving the best-looking British touring car I've ever seen for a very long time. It's a three... I think it's a 330i 3 Series. Obviously, it's not. It's something totally different, but it's silhouetted, but anyway. And it's in its BMW Motorsport livery. Even Andrew Jordan's Pertec-sponsored livery are stunning cars. I think I actually prefer the Pertec one from the photos I've seen, but... Oh, the Pertec one is pretty good in its own way, but I'd, I'd lean more towards the BMW Motorsport one. 
Yes. So BTCC, if, uh, it's the, the new car. That is, the, that is the I think the newest of the cars on the grid is the new free series. I think it is. Well, yeah. I've also got the, the Corolla. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, the, there is the Corolla. The Corolla yeah. I think what's quite nice about it is, I, I can't remember. I think it was the boss of um, Westbury Racing stated that it's the first time they've had a car that looks like a touring car should, <laughs> and I think he's spot on because. As nice as it is to see all these hatchbacks, there hasn't been that many saloon touring cars, which is obviously, you know, where BTCC had its name from. And I think to see a saloon three series back in the back in the um, championship is just, you know, it brings a breath of fresh air to yeah. the silhouette. It right. might, it's weird because it looks I mean, so much like a normal road car. It actually looks out of place on the grid, which is quite funny. But um, yeah, it also it also reminds me of the the world touring cars from like ten years ago. When uh, BMW versus Seat was the big, the big fight, but um, yeah. yeah, under the S two thousand regulations. That's right. So, uh, so what are the current regulations are? The current regulations in the BTCC. Yeah. Yes. They are the next generation touring car or NGTC regulations. They involve a lot of cost saving and common parts so the cars are all based on a road going monocoque so the center section of the bmw the merc the toyota they're all the same as the road car the difference is the front subframe is completely removed from the road car and a tubular steel universal subframe is bolted onto the front another tubular steel universal subframe is bolted into the rear these parts have control suspension so every car on the grid shares the same subframes shares the same suspension they also have the option of hiring an engine from toka the organizers to put in the car or build one to their spec and honestly while i was a bit unsure about it when it first came out it is one of the best things to happen to the btcc in years it has lowered the barrier to entry for teams by so much who has been the absolute genius mastermind behind it all that i actually don't know i think it's having that actually uh i think it probably is um what a man he is i mean to take it from the low point that it was in the mid 2000s when they'd lost their super touring era and yeah they were dipping in and out of form they had reduced grid sizes to where it is now you have to give that man a hand because he is he's done stuff to that series that f1 would love to do as you quite clearly said at the beginning of the of the talk that or sean said i think actually that they had 10 silhouette manufacturers 10 you know, and they didn't even have Alfa Romeo in, who was in a couple of years ago because of um, limitations on grid size. Yeah, funnily enough, I actually see the transporter for that on an almost daily basis because oh, really? it's next <laughs> to where I work. That's brilliant. Um, cool. Ah, now, so, while, we, while we're enjoying ourselves, let's crack on with race one. Um, so, Brands Indy Circuit, fog and rain, as is, uh, I think, traditional in uh, all British motorsport, especially... Uh, the first round of the British Touring Car Championship. Um, we had the fun, we and Chris enjoyed this, it was a very fun race, it was basically slicks versus wets, which did you pick? Um, we started with a wet track, went dry, turned wet again at the end. Um, we had front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive, on the, which actually made a huge difference on the start line, didn't it Chris? 
Oh, yeah, God, yeah. I mean, I think it was the BMWs were in the top five. And I think it was Plato was second, so Jason Plato, who is now in a Vauxhall uh, Astra. Um, he got swamped by all the rear-wheel drive cars behind him and left him for dead. It was amazing. It's, it's... They always have been pretty fast off the line, the BMWs. The 1 Series always were. Yeah, yeah even back to the old 3 Series, they were... You know, there were rocket ships off the line. I, st- I re- still remember when they had to. I think they changed. I think they brought in a regulation or a part change for their first gear uh, ooh, about five, six, seven years ago, where to prevent them from having their rocket ship starts. And they still had their <laughs> rocket ship starts even after that. Yeah, that's, it's, it was amazing. It's, it's, I think it was particularly. It was weird. I didn't expect. I thought I would sort of expect the front wheel drives to get a better thing but i suppose when they're trying to turn and put the track power down as well it does make sense that they i think he was on the inside of the inside as well on the uh on the starting grid so he obviously just slipped and slided over the uh over the wet stuff and uh as you say chris he got completely swamped um and continued to go backwards through the rest of the race because as we saw well, he, he did he remember. i forgot that because he was outside of his grid box oh yeah because they've clamped down on grid boxes now where you have to line up behind the line you're not allowed to line up on the line so if you're on the line which i think he was over it ever so slightly um you get a penalty and you got to drive through and it consequently dropped him to the back yeah um as which you didn't say, yeah as you say it was uh it was quite it's cool because we watched the first few cars got away and all of a sudden about three or four laps in all the slick car runners start um making their way through the field first of them among which was the brand new Honda Civic of Josh Cook, who uh, went through, overtook. Um, who was it? Who was the? Um... Well, you had Turkington, um, Turkington's team at that I can't remember, and Andrew Jordan, and I think there was one other up there. I can't remember. Matt Neal was there. Matt Neal was there. Oh, yeah, that's right, Matt Neal. In fairness, Matt Neal is always there. Yeah. yeah. He is as much a part as the beat of the BTCC nowadays as the tyres on the car. <laughs> they start to look oh, as well. Do you want to know the best thing about this new touring car? Because it's sponsored by QuickFit, <laughs> if you look at Matt Neal's Honda Civic, which is a Halfords car, they don't have QuickFit on the car. No, not on the bumper, no. No, so no not on the bumper. They would plate. have the licence plate. Yeah. They would have... Normally, it would be the title sponsor, which would be QuickFit. But because it's a Halford-sponsored car, Halford sort of turned around and went, we don't want a rival competitor on our car, so do something about it. And they changed it to Dunlop. Which I think is cool. I didn't notice it until the commentator said so. uh, It was awesome. But anyway, so race, it it was literally just, there was a lot of pack racing, essentially, through the the corners. Um, A fair few little knocks, which was uh, fun to watch. I particularly enjoyed watching uh, Lewis Hamilton's brother, Acting just like his his, his um, sibling, and uh, hitting people. So uh, one of which he did quite well at the beginning of the race. Give him credit. He was up to about twelve. Oh, he was twentieth. Like he was. He, oh no! Wait. No, it was in the top like between ten and twenty. Really? I don't know. I didn't pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah then he dropped back quite quickly. But either way, he then hit uh, leader Josh Cook as he was lapping him, which I thought was, yeah, that's definitely runs in the family. But uh, but no, it was it was cool because Josh Cook in the Honda, he took the race win eventually from Jake Hill and Tom Chilton, who's now he's he's old now. Tom Chilton. He is old. I still remember when he was in a Vauxhall Astra. So do I. Um, oh man! 
And he was a baby fair young man. Exactly. He's finally started. He's gone through puberty now. He's he's he's, he's a mature, level-headed. Hopefully, going to win. We never know. Anyway, but he uh, Tom Chilton was third in top seven independent drivers in that race. Top seven. Sorry, what? Top seven independent drivers in the oh, race. Oh, sorry, you're on about all the top seven were all independent teams. Yeah, in the first race, yeah. No. Yeah, that's a pretty good stat, considering you don't need money in a works backing to win the race. No. It's... Well, that was a big thing about the regulations, in essence, was they wanted to... Because a lot of race series are struggling to attract manufacturers these days. I think the BTCC wanted to make it easier for small teams to have a genuine shot at it. Well, yeah, you look at um, Rob Austin when he was driving his um, Audi um, Sherman. I mean, he was, you know, he's working out the back of a, a gazebo with a minimal budget against, you know, the people like um, Team Dynamics and their sponsored-backed or works-backed Hondas. And he, was, he might not have been beating them on a regular basis, but he was up there. I mean, even Team Dynamics, yeah, they're the works Honda team nowadays, but they're still... Uh, to my knowledge, a relatively small team, and they they started as people like Rob Austin's team are. They started as a small privateer team. Yeah, because if you remember, Matt Neal was the first independent driver to win a race, and he won a check of what's it, ten grand or a hundred grand? Or... No, it was a lot more than that. I think it was two hundred fifty thousand. You're on about. So he wasn't the first privateer to win a race he was the first privateer to win a race in the super touring era in the 90s which and i'm having to stretch my knowledge here i believe it was 97 because he was in the primera yeah the old um, yeah, yeah it was a red primera with two dynamics over the top of it gorgeous car. yeah and i think he got something like two hundred and fifty thousand because he was the first driver in that era that had managed to beat the works teams with a private car and the primera was really good looking it was a pretty decent-looking car. Well, as long as it was had the super-touring aerodynamics on it, you take that off and it's not the best-looking yeah. car in the world. No, I'll give them that. I mean, that could be said for half the things on the modern BTCC grid, in fairness. Have you ever seen a Toyota Aventis look as interesting as the one um, Ingram was racing last year? Now, to be fair, the, car, the, the last Aventis looks a lot like the BTCC car. Well, you take the end of the three series, the new one. Take the spot, the splitter, and the spoiler off, or ring the rear wing off. Put it in a standard metallic pin, and it won't look any different to its standard road car. What the MG6? That one does. I'd say that holds true as well. It's just the fact the standard road car is now only sold in China. Yeah, which is unfortunate, I think. But um, anyway, so let's move on to race two. Um, Chris, you all remember this one? It was a, a this pretty much dry track by this point for race two. Yeah, um, I don't think there was a wet wet patch at all. But we did still see the the rear wheel drive cars just shoot off the line again, just creaming the front wheel drive, which I think could be it could potentially be a problem through the season. But um, I suppose we'll see. Um, as I think forward. if it becomes a problem, they'll nip it in the butt because, as you rightly said, they do embarrassed front-wheel drive cars off the line yeah i mean maybe it maybe part of it is to do with the um the fact that these first two races were the the ones without uh success ballast as such yeah but even with success ballast josh cook was still pretty successful he was <laughs> yeah that's true um he did in race two though 
um, sort of dropped back through the pace. He was in the top three fights initially. Um, what do you what do you make of the, the reduction in success balance? Because he was about eighty kilo, but I think it's now about fifty. Yeah, I think I remember a couple of years ago when they sort of were beginning to really introduce it. It was really becoming obvious. I think they've got a good balance now, in my opinion. Um, I personally don't like success balance full stop, but it does help with the closer racing and also. Mm. Um, yeah, just making it more dynamic, like it has it did do this weekend. Um, mm. Al, where do you stand on success ballast? Um, I think in series like the BTCC, it's actually been very effective because there's a lot of races in a BTC season. There's what is it, ten rounds in a year, and yeah, each one so, has three races. So yeah. there's a lot of races in the year to get through. Yeah. And I think it stops it being a whitewash. I, I'm less keen on it in some other series. Another one that I know of that uses it momentary aside, it'll only be one second, um, is the Japanese Super GTs use success ballast. I'm not sure it's such a good formula for endurance racing, but I think for short, sharp touring car racing, I think it's a good tool. Yeah, I agree. Well, Sorry, Sean. No. Um, as you rightly say, Al, in endurance rating, because I'm pretty sure, is it, um, oh, it's the WEC GT Pro teams have success balance, don't they? No. Uh, no, they, get no, they have balance of performance, balance. which yeah. is a different animal entirely, which the BTCC use as well, actually. Do uh, they? I don't know. That. Well, yeah, in endurance racing, it's a bigger issue because... You know, in touring cars, you know that if you've got success balance, you're going to use your tyres up more. Whereas in endurance racing, it's the same thing. But obviously, in endurance racing, if you can make it to that last a stint, then that's a good thing. Hmm. But obviously, in the beating team, success balance just affects the performance over a lap, as opposed to any external factors like your tyre wear, to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 as I said, I think it's a good way of sort of balancing the field and making close racing as we did see in uh, these these couple of races so in race two going back to it um ash sutton and andrew jordan they were the ones sort of vying for the main positions initially with cook who fell back um we then saw a lot of sort of like uh, rubbing racing i think it's fair to say um yeah classic racing really um but we also we saw um uh we saw Andrew Jordan in the BMW take the lead from Ash Sutton on, I think it was lap 17. Uh, the BMW is rapid in a straight line, that free series. There's no denying that. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't quite know why, because the only thing I can assume is it's the aerodynamic difference, because as, as we know, the engine is a standard engine to a certain extent. And the only thing I can think of is the gearing or the aerodynamic efficiency of the BMW. Yeah, yeah it could be gearing. Yeah. It'll be the aerodynamics, because while the engines aren't, a standard spec the bmw i believe does use a bmw engine because it's just an option to have the toker engine teams are equally entitled to build their own right um i do remember with the current tcr rules that the audis similar sort of silhouette to the bmws have a slightly lower drag than the hatchbacks so it's probably down to that i think yeah they were saying that the one series that's racing in there was also not clearly not as quick as the free series that was racing in btcc so if, yeah that makes sense it could be aerodynamics or probably is aerodynamics especially when i think they all use the same gearbox yeah across the btcc i think much like the brakes it's one of the control items 
Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so race two. Uh, oh, no, before that, what we did see, Chris, um, whenever you had a failed move, you lost more than one position. Oh, that is, that is one of the most... It's a gambling touring cars nowadays to make an overtake, especially around the outside. So you take Druids, for instance. Yeah. If you try and drive the around the outside and then try and go up the inside of Graham Hill Bend, you leave yourself open to the train of cars that's probably formed behind yeah, you. Yeah, that's that's one of the problems, the quote-unquote problems with the success battles, is that it does make it high risk. A it, it, yeah. I think it's great because it's that shoulders-out mentality that if the bloke in front of you goes up the inside, you go up the inside as well. Because you know that... If you're if the bloke in front overtakes the car that he's trying to overtake, you're ninety percent likely to go past him as well because of that train mentality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it was it was fine. It could have it was probably um, overdone because it's in the wet and offline. It was obviously still wet, so you were losing traction. Yeah. Um, but no, it was the case that you'd lose, see someone try and move down the hill and then lose two positions coming out of it if they didn't work out. But uh, yeah, no, it was fun. Anyway, race two, we saw Andrew Jordan in the BMW take the win, the first, obviously, win for that car. Um, Ash Sutton was second, followed by Adam Norton in third, uh, which brought us to... this. Who? That's, uh, I think he's an independent. Adam Norton, I've got written down here. Adam Morgan. Oh, Morgan. Is that Del it? Merck. Merck. Oh. Is it the Laser Tools one? It is, yes. Yeah, the one with the Scottish flag on the roof. Well, I stand corrected. Anyway. <laughs> Any... Oh, yeah, it is Adam Morgan. Never mind. I should probably check Wikipedia first. Um, yeah, anyway. Point B, they came, that came third. It was a good race. Then it came to race three. And this was the interesting part, which where uh, somebody... They do a sort of random reverse grid thing. A sort of... A sort of well, lottery. It's, sorry, it's random, but it's a reverse grid. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's a lot, sort of lottery. Someone picks a ball out of a hat, and it's a random number. I, I don't, I, what's the point of that? Why not have a fair, consistent... Number? I think because what it does, it encourages drivers in race two to keep pushing, because you don't think, right, I'll stop here in, say, eighth, because I know it's going to stick me on pole for race three. Yeah, that's a good point. You just... keep fighting for every point, because... You don't know. You might stop there in eighth. They might draw a seven, so they reverse the first seven cars, That's and you're point. still sat there in eighth. That's a good point. I, I, I now remember the world touring cars when we used to have all the manufacturers there. Um, you used to see drivers literally <laughs> slowing down to about ten seconds a lap to let everyone through, so they could have eighth place, and that did really detract some of the races. So that's a good point, actually. Us, yeah. But um, anyway, they had the reverse grid. Uh, it was now in the dry, more or less. Um, again, it was yeah, more or less dry. Um, again, the uh, FRs, the front-engine rear-wheel drive cars, just went off the line faster. Um, who was it? It was Stephen Jelly. Went from sixth to first place in the first two corners. What was he? Oh, it was in the um, Civic corner. Um, the old Civic. Was it a Civic? I thought it was a BM. No, no, Stephen Jelly's in the um, Auto Aid Civic, I think. Should really look these things up. Yeah, so should I. <laughs> Either way, he had a fantastic start. He went, he passed literally the, the front five, um, and uh, took the lead. And I don't think anyone. Well, no, we, we did see him again. Um, Matt Neal was also up there. He was, I think, he got the reverse grid pole, didn't he? And uh, on lap seven, he took the lead from Stephen Jelly. Um, Chilton also overtook 
jelly for that position. Um, and those two began to pull away. Um, and then we saw a couple of laps, it was quiet, as everyone sort of settled down. Those two, the front two went off ahead, and we saw a big train of cars behind um, third and fourth place. Um, which then saw Sutton have a crash, didn't it? When he got uh, sort of knocked out coming down yeah, the hill. Yeah, because it wasn't really his fault. He just sort of got boxed into the car to the left of him and spun him round. Yeah, ripped the uh, the rear bumper off and the diffuser. He was going up left, right, because he went up the inside of the um, Mercedes. Oh, sorry, went up the outside of Grain Hill. Yeah. And then uh, Stephen Jelly is in a is in a one series. Oh, so it was a BMW. It was a BMW. Hey, just not the one I was thinking of. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he um yeah he had that great start. He was then he started going backwards through the race, but he uh still did well. Um, Sutton had that crash as we said, which came coming down the hill. Uh, Chilton then took the lead on lap thirteen as Matt Neal's tyres began to go off with the success ballast, um and on the line Tom Chilton won it from uh who's that? Who the hell have I written down there? <laughs> Hang on, I've written down Rory Butcher. Well known, well known person, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Ms. Rory yeah, Butcher. good. Um, he is won- he one of the old shape Honda drivers, to my he memory? Is, or is he-, he is one of the old shape drivers. You are absolutely correct, and he's definitely not in a one series BMW. Is that um, Eurotech running those cars still? It's the Auto Aid. Um, Cobra Sport outfit. Are they the ones that had the Audis the other year? They did run the Audis, yeah. I think basically they bought Auto um, Euro Sports old Alphas. Sorry, old Civics. I don't think Euro Sport are in it this year. Eurotech, Eurosport TV channel. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Eurotech. Uh, yeah. yeah, Eurotech are in it this year. Okay. Yeah, so I think they just bought their old cars, which is what quite a lot of teams do, because I suspect if you trace that FK2 Civic back, it would probably be a, a Matt Neal car or a... Or a um... I mean, almost certainly. In fairness, they're... I mean, it's not quite to the level of something like GT3, but where there's a relatively low barrier to entry, if you look back over the era, there's... <coughs> My apologies. Several cars such as the Vauxhall Insignia, some of the earlier Ford Focuses. Um, there's several cars that, and the earlier Audis, that aren't competing. So they're out there. They're, a team could go and buy one of them because they have several universal parts, including this option to lease an engine. Even if you found it as just a rolling chassis, you could quite easily say, bring back one of the um, VW Passats or Vauxhall Insignias that was racing five years ago. I don't know how competitive it would be now, but you could do it. Volkswagen still wins the CC. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, uh, Volkswagen, I was going to say, Volkswagen are still one of the independents with the uh, the Volkswagen CC, which is basically a Passat, but... uh, Right, but it's a slightly different body to the Passat that I think was racing five years ago. Well... I was going to say, isn't the, no, isn't the CC Triple um, Eight's old car? Is it Triple Eight? No, that's the MG you're thinking of that was built no. by Triple Eight. No, it was the team that Plato and they all had chrome Vauxhall CCs. 
A what? A Vox? Anyway, the, no, no. I mean, yeah. you look at, the, what I distinctly remember is there was an era, I think it was the late 2000s, when you were still running S2000 rules, where half the grid were, were odd focuses. You had the Airways motor-based focus as being this brand new focus. And then you had about three or four different teams running the old spec focus. Yeah, I remember that. It's the same. It's the same. If you look at this year, you've got you've got Honda UASA running a brand new Type R FK8 Civic. You've got BTC BTC Norlin or BTC Racing, yep. which used to be Norlin outfit, running probably last year's FK8. Then you've got, as we rightly said, the Cobra Sport AMD team running an FK2 Civic, which was probably three years ago. And you've got Matt Simpson, who's also running an FK2 Civic, which is probably even older of, of the same generation as the, as the Cobra Sport team. So, I mean, you, you know, it's still a viable car. And as I say, like the Focus is, they were, you know, the half the team, and it just shows the longevity of some of these chassis. Yeah, they were, it shows they were built properly in the first place, really. Yeah. Well, there's also the fact that while they have changed supplier, I don't think they've changed the design of these universal sort of semi-space frame subframes that they use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do remember, and this was probably about four or five years ago, they changed the suspension supplier and they were finding some slight differences in handling between the new and the old version. However, I believe they are fully compatible with... I think you could update a car quite easily. Hmm. Going back to race three, just to finish it off, the final order, because Tom Chilton got a penalty for hitting, I think it was Matt Neal, um, or someone else. Um, Rory Butcher... Yeah, that's his name. Rory Butcher won the race uh, from Tom Chilton. Third was um, Stephen Jelly. Because Matt Neal's right-left uh, suspension arm, or toe link, fell off on the last lap. I think that penalty was a bit high. A little bit, but I don't Because, I mean, Robin is racing, and it was unfortunate that... I think if... I think if it hadn't broke his toe arm, he'd got away with it. But because it broke his toe arm, they were like, well, we can't just leave that alone. You've literally ruined Matt Neal's race, therefore, here's a penalty. Yeah. So, and in fairness, is there anyone on the BTCC grid at this point that hasn't hit Matt Neal? Probably not. Not because he ends up in a lot of accidents. It's more what I was saying, that he's been there forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it probably is everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, Matt Neal was quite annoyed with Tom Chilton's move. In... What's the final corner of Brands? Uh, oh, oh. oh, that goes right. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, coming into there, Tom Chilton did a brilliant move up the inside. I say brilliant. He hit him and nerfed him halfway across the track, out-dragged him down the straight, which isn't straight, and um, to the lead. And that's that's what cost him the penalty, which, yeah, slightly damaged Manuel's car, and that uh, caused the the toe link to undo itself. But, um, no, it was overall, it was a good, I think me and Chris will agree, it was a very good weekend of racing on the BTCC. It was... Very... Oh, I, even just the support races were fantastic. I didn't see those, but... Uh... What's fantastic about the BTCC package, the ITV, who I think are doing an incredible job with Steve Ryder, Paul O'Neill, Tim Harvey, and I forget the commentator's name. Um, I think they do one of the best all-round packages ever. 
you know, I think, you know, just be able to sit down and be entertained from roughly 11 o'clock in the morning to about 6 o'clock at night is just, you know, and it doesn't get boring. It's not, maybe some of the, the, the races get boring, like the Formula 4s and Porsche Carrera Cup stuff, but, you know, you're not bored. Oh, with Formula 4, the issue there is mostly that only about five people ever turn up. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, they've struggled for grids in recent years, but things like the Clio Cup, the Ginetta Juniors, the Ginetta Super Cup, they all provide great support racing for the BTCC. Yeah, so I mean, so now... Sorry, Sean. No, yeah. I was going to say, so now, now we're sort of done with those three races, we can now sort of just go into BTCC in general, which is, which yeah, it does include these, uh, the support clubs. Which we've kept doing anyway. Yeah. But now, jumping yeah. the gun. Yeah. I feel sorry for the Clears because literally as soon as it was announced that the Mini Cooper Cup or whatever it's going to be called is taking the Clears spot, oh, sorry, it's taking the Clears spot, it's literally annihilated the grid. I think there's only about 12, 13 cars on the grid this year. That's, that's pretty I actually cool. didn't realise the Mini was taking over for the Clio, but I'd imagine the Mini will pick up. So it's quite a popular car at club level. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, the Genetas obviously always have their, their good racing um, in the Juniors and the GT4 Super Cup. Uh, Chris, obviously you watched the support races. Was it, was it just action-packed throughout the day or... Uh, were their highlights and troughs? I think the surprise of this race was the Formula 4 races. As much as they're a bit dull sometimes, the first race was cracking. Um, I felt sorry for one of the lads, though. He was coming out of Cascades, and he it was the last lap. He had a lunge up the inside, fun race lead, and he didn't quite get up, get far enough up the inside. He was, his front left was just overlapping his, the block, the other chaps rear right yeah and wasn't quite far enough for him to class it as being his overtake and consequently they made contact and the other chap um span and he went on to finish the race in the lead um it was then rescinded and he got uh, however big a penalty it was and you just sat there going that was a shame because it was such a good race and they were in such a good battle that that one little mistake meant that he didn't get the podium he deserved yeah that's always a pity. I mean, what were the Porsche Super Cups? Sorry, not, no, no, not Super Cups, are they? They're Porsche Carrera Cups. Yeah. Um, I remember when, when I went to CPCC years and years ago, they were easily the most dull of the classes. I mean, is that still... Oh, still dull. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Still dull. Yeah. I mean, this, the Brands Hatch race was all right, but I, it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, Al, when did you last go to a BTCC race? Um, it was, it would have been 2017, the final round of the championship, because it was when Ash Sutton took the title in the, uh, Subaru. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's a fair bit uh, newer than I've been. I think I last went in 2006, which was obviously very, very recent. Uh, Chris, when did you last go? To a touring car. I don't think I've ever been to one, but I will be going to one next weekend. Oh, really? Which yeah. one's next weekend? Donington Park. It's like Ooh. 10 minutes of the road. That's quite, that sounds yeah, quite enjoyable. Just watch Korean Affairs and see a man randomly shouting and waving his arms. <laughs> that were you. Then eh? behind that man will be Chris, very embarrassed. Exactly. <laughs> so, which, so, yeah, so Chris, we're watching the first race, which, uh, well, apart from the obvious BTCC races, which were exemplary, what would you say is your next biggest... Uh, um, 
the one you're most looking forward to next? Probably, I think for action, I don't think you can pass up the Janetta Juniors because of how inexperienced they are and how determined they are. Yeah, <laughs> determined they are. You know, you can't watch a race without somebody spinning off in a bonnet going up in the air. Yeah. Um, but I think for actual on-track racing, I think the Janetta Juni 55s, I think it's the Janetta Super Cup now, I think they're called. Yep, GT4s. Yeah, they're... Well, they're not quite GT4 spec. It says it's on Wikipedia. They're producing cracking racing. Because you get the, the, the Pro-Am and the Am... Oh, so you get the Pro and the Am category. And, you know, they're the, you know, you get some good racing. It can go in the way of the Porsche Carrera Cup stuff, where it gets a bit processional for obvious reasons, with it being aero-demanding and so on and so forth. But I think because they're not quite as experienced as the Porsche Cup drivers... You get a decent amount of racing. So I'll probably see them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds fun. So, uh, do you think you'll be... What's the weather forecast for next weekend? No idea. It's probably sunny, hopefully. I'm going to say it's sunny, because it's me. <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah, it could be a laugh either way. I mean, you're, at least if it's sunny, we'll get the, the idea of how big an advantage the front-wheel drive... Versus the rear-wheel drive cars will be in the BTCC, whether or not. Oh, I think I, I think the BMWs will dominate this weekend. Do you think they'll dominate the season? Though is the million-dollar question. Yes. No, I think if they begin to dominate over the first couple of rounds, somebody will be like, "Hang on, you need to peg these back," or they are, as you say, going to dominate the season. I say the thing with that though is I think it's impossible to call most of the time. I was. Setting you up a bit, admittedly, Chris. No, I don't remember a BTCC race. I don't remember a BTCC season in the last five years where it's been decided before the last race of the championship. Not even the last round, the last race. I, I, I still remember when Turkington won, not his last championship, the championship before. Was it Turkington? Or, no, it was Shedden in an FK2 Civic, and it was at Brands Hatch, it was the GP circuit, I think it had been raining the day, and he started, I think it was 13th, and he needed to finish on the podium, and I remember watching his drive, and he, what a determined drive it was, if you can find it, watch that race, because it was a cracker, he scythed his way through the field, like nobody's business, and he ended up getting to where he was, and ending what was one of the best drives I think I've ever seen. Was that when um, it was basically, that car was like almost brand new and it was him versus Matt Neal for the title, like most of the way through the season? Something like that, yeah. Maybe. It was that car when it was pretty new. Was that the one where he denied Sam Tordoff a championship and Tordoff then went off to do the British GT? Yes, it was, probably. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was that season. I'm pretty, when you look at that, the drive we did, you... Because of how good he was, you kind of question, you kind of throw out that, was he cheating because of how good he was? I don't, 100%, I don't think he was cheating, not in a million years, but you sort of look at him and go, have somebody turned up your turbo a bit much, or is, <laughs> you know, have you been allowed less weight, or something like that? But, you know, I full marks to him because it was an incredible drive. And I think he nearly did something exactly the same either last year or the year before, or whenever he was last in the championship. 
Oh, it would have been 2017, I think, because he and Sutton, the year I was there, were... There was nothing between them coming into the last race. I think he damaged the toe link, didn't he? Yes, no, it was the Penalco race. He damaged the toe link, essentially put himself out of the championship and handed it to Sutton, who was a very deserving champion, I think. Oh, 100%. He he took that Subaru Lavorg by the the scruff of the neck and made it a championship winning car. Yeah, full credit for winning that. Looking back at some of the, the older BTCC classes and seasons, I mean, obviously, we look back, say, 10 years ago when it was sort of Jason, Plata- Jason Potato and um, who was the Italian bloke? Giovinardi? Fabrizio Giovinardi, yeah, yeah. He was 10 years ago. I think he still would have been with Vauxhall, yeah. maybe. I can't remember when they left. I know he was in 2007, but 2009's a bit hazy. It was yeah, but one, I remember it was basically back then. It was still very much a couple of teams or a couple of drivers were the standouts of the field. They'd basically win or challenge for wins on every single race. Uh, you don't have, then have all the customer cars in their Ford Focuses or whatever behind them. Um, so that's where I think the BCC, as we sort of indicated earlier, it's, it's improved massively in terms of its grid um, unpredictability here. Because I remember obviously when I started watching BCC, it was. The brand new at the time, uh, 2006 Honda Civics, and the Integra, I think, was still there, actually. Um, and they were against the... Oh, a Honda Integra in the Halfords Livery. Yeah, that's, that was the one against the, the Seats in, I think, it, sort of, it was a yellow scheme of some sort. Um, and, yeah, cool. Yeah, and I think Vauxhall was still around then with the Astra, but I can't remember. Yeah. Interestingly, two different specifications of car racing at the time. Was it? Yeah, the Sayat Coopers and the Sayat Leons that followed were built to the FIA's Super 2000 regulations, as were the Vauxhall Vectras in 2007. The Integra, the Vauxhall Astra before the Vectra, and a lot of the cars that you only saw in Britain were built to the BTCT regulations. That's a good acronym. It was, they were the regulations that came in in 2001 after the end of the Super Touring era. Yeah. In essence, the FIA and the BTCC both had different ideas of what touring car needed. And then luckily we ended up where we are now. Yes. um, Well, that's another rethink where, yet again, the FIA and the BTCC went in different directions and... Well, the rule set from that that survived is the BTCC one because the World Touring Car regulations disappeared into obscurity. Yeah, sadly. Um, I suppose, since we're, we're mentioning the World Touring Cars and what they are now, um, BTCC obviously have plans for the future with their, their hybrid introductions coming soon. Um, do we think it's necessary compared to, you know, for the survivability of the series with the TCR rules? taking over the world and um was it the uh the etcc i think it's called the electric one um yeah etcr is it um do we think it's the btcc is going to be as strong in a couple of years as it is now i can't see any reason why it wouldn't be i mean you just go from a 30 odd car grid to a an 18 car grid dwindling in like two or three seasons i think the introduction of the hybrid system as long as it's cost cap and is a standard supplied, yeah. and they don't just open it up, 
I think it would be a fantastic addition, especially if they use it to like a, a 2009 F1 curse system where it's almost like a push to pass. Mm. They've just got to be careful to get it right. So it's not too powerful that it's an automatic overtake, but it's not weak where this doesn't, it's just, um, you know, carried mass. Yeah. Well, what you're saying about making sure it's not, I, while I don't know what their actual plans are, I don't see the BTCC making the hybrid system like an open book. Considering that the ECUs, the brakes, even the data logger dash displays in the BTCC are spec items, I would fully imagine that any hybrid system coming in in a few years will be a spec item, at least to start with. Now, do we think it's good, that's going to attract some more, uh, even maybe even more manufacturers? Because I, was, I remember looking at this a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's quite a few manufacturers who are on the BTCC grid who don't have hybrid versions of any of their cars or at least their cars they're currently racing um so it could it could be a potential conflict of interest but equally it could it could open the doors for for others or or indeed new models to be built full stop in in this in the uk with the emission I mean, rules I'm, yeah i'm not sure it'll actually have a huge impact on what models you see on the grid mostly because not that many of them are actually coming through a manufacturer yeah most of those cars are actually built by private teams. Yeah. They just, they've picked whatever they fancied to use as a base for it. I mean, because for instance, I know, well, they're not on the grid this year, the Alfa Romeo that was racing last year, they did not have factory support from Alfa Romeo. No. They had support from the UK Alfa dealer network, but they didn't have full factory support. So that car is not built by Fiat Alfa Romeo. It's built by Handy Motorsport. Okay. So sort of like so, sort of like Proton and the um Ollie Mellers Motorsport eras in the R five. It's not it's not built by Proton, it's built by a sort of UK based uh team essentially. It's pretty much all the M Sport focuses currently in the World um yeah. Rally Championship. Yeah. Um, I think what you'll have is you'll have, so for instance, Toyota brought their new Corolla with um, um, Tingram. Yeah. I think what you'll have is you'll have where manufacturers can take the opportunity to add a hybrid or whatever if they call their electrified vehicles back onto the back of their cars, they will do. For instance, like Toyota Corolla is not only a naturally aspirated or whatever it is vehicle but it's also a hybrid they'll be able well, to put a big lovely stamp on the back of it saying it's a hybrid it's better than that because the same with any other car that's on there that has a hybrid system i mean the the corolla the corolla is a good example because the road going cars doesn't have a naturally aspirated version at all yeah so it's only hybrids you can buy when you go to the retailers so i think for the corolla's sake you know obviously this year is going to be an oddity before they bring in the hybrid system we'll be like yep yeah, cool we do hybrids in Toyota. That's all we do. Do you, do you want to go buy one? See it winning races? I mean, that's that's sort of, that's an. I, think, that's an I don't think you'll have an increase in manufacturers per se, but I think you'll have a very good retention of manufacturers. Yeah, keep, it'll keep it it'll keep it more. Um, uh, what's the word they use? It'll, yeah. It'll, well, having said that, other than the Toyota Corolla, I can't think of any other car on the grid apart from maybe. Yeah, I can't think of any other car on the grid that would run a hybrid system. Um. Maybe the one, maybe the BMW. 
I don't think BMW got that far yet, as daft as that sounds. Maybe the, no, well actually no, maybe the three series does have a like a diesel electric. I know Audi do. I knew the their new A four or A six do have an hybrid system. Hmm. So maybe you'll see that. But no, I think it'd be interesting to see what that hybrid system brings. I mean, do we? We don't obviously. We don't, I think they're only just launching the tender process for that. Uh, for yeah, that I technology. think they have. Yeah. So we don't know the details. We don't know the power yet. We don't know necessarily how it's going to be implemented in terms of its amount of power extra it'll give per race or per weekend. Yeah, speculate, sure, and speculation's yeah, the best thing. Oh, it is. I mean, cause if it were doing speculation, I'd like it just like Indy cars, where you have a set amount of time or boost or whatever. And you can run that down to flat, and that's it. But uh, obviously, that makes a that can be different for every driver. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I think it'll be difficult with that type of system because you have to have the storage for it. And if you're trying to reduce the weight of the package, it might more it might be better being a boost per lap or. Yeah, boost per lap where you're regenerating throughout the entire lap, like the F1 2009 system used to be, where you regen over the lap, and then you've got X number of seconds per per lap. Yeah, but you only have that for that lap. You can't accumulate it over the race. Yeah, I'm just aware of the time here because Al's got some uh, some shopping arriving. Um, Al, do you think with the hybrid systems, do you think uh, there's there's any particular way they should implement them? Maybe put it on the non-driven axle. To make him sort of four wheel driver get across the board, or something like that. Um, I'm not really sure. I wonder if maybe. Go and try. Think. Um, I'm not really sure. In all honesty, I think Chris's idea of the 2009 style F1 is probably as good a way as any to introduce it to the series. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine the BTCC rule makers are putting a lot of thought into this because it's a big change for it and they've got a good formula as it is so they don't really want to mess that up yeah do you think a hybrid system will be fr- um, too fragile at all on these cars with the, with their rubbing racing sort of mentality not really because I mean it's not like it's got a huge amount of moving components or is easily damaged it's going to be fairly well buried into the cars yeah. so no I don't think it's going to be fragile you might have the occasional instance where one packs up and a driver is at a disadvantage but equally that can happen to any component on the car the turbocharger you could pop the boost pipe and yeah. while the driver would be in essence screwed for the race so that's, that's very that's very true actually that's, that's a good point um but of course that is for next year it is next year isn't it they're doing that well the hybrid system yeah no, I think it's a couple of years down the oh, line. Is it, is it, is it, oh, I've always sooner than that. But anyway, that's for a couple of years down the line. For now, we have the full-on, full con- <laughs> semi-full contact um, BTCC, which we all know and love. Um, I would say, who do we have for championship predictions? But I think that's absolute fool's error in the BTCC. Um, I'll, put I'll put my money somewhere. Go on, then. Uh, I think it'll be one of the BMWs. <laughs> I'd put money on maybe... Andrew Jordan. See, if you were going to force me, I'd put money on Tom Tom Ingram. Yeah, because he was what? very oh. close. It was very close last year, and that was 
a fully private car with that was a few years old. Now he's got support of Toyota UK. I think there's probably a lot more development has gone into getting that Corolla in the sweet spot than they were ever really able to with the Aventis. So, as much, as much as I'd like to agree with that, I think they'll be sort of hamstrung by there only being one car, or is there only other two cars on the Corollas? I don't know. It never, there is only one Corolla, but it never really affected because the team only ever ran the one Aventis, and it never held them back too badly. I, That's true. I mean, admittedly, as you say, it's a bit of a fool's errand trying to guess the BTCC after one meeting. Yeah. I, think, I mean... I think it'll be interesting to see where, where the new Hondas stack up against the new BMWs and the new Toyota once they start actually getting into their rhythm. I think, I think a nice wild card would be Tom Chilton in that motor-based Ford. Yeah, he, or him and Matt Neal both showed very... I'm not sure Matt Neal's an independent, but either way, those two seem to be relatively standout among... Um, well, I think the key will be the one who wins the odd race or two every meeting and the one that's consistently in the top six or seven. Yeah. You know, I think if you're consistently in the draw for the reverse grid and you're winning the odd race, you're more than likely going to be there at the end of the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how would you disagree with that at all? No, I think that's completely accurate. The BTCC is such an unpredictable animal that you just have to try and be consistent yeah. with it. You have to finish. You have to finish first, you have to first finish, as they say. Um, but yeah, otherwise we've got another 27 old races, all on ITV4. I think they're all live, aren't they? Yeah, Yeah, I believe they are. Yeah, all live on ITV4. Um, everyone should definitely watch that every, every couple of weekends, every weekend or two. Um, and if we have any international listeners, there's also highlights available on Motor Trend. Yes, there are. Everyone go over there too. Um, otherwise, I think because Al Shopping is about to arrive and he'll need to run off in a second, I think that's going to do it for us. We didn't get to talk about 80s Group A cars at all. We can do that in a separate one. We'll, we'll, no, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a special one. We'll do a special classic touring cars episode because that would be cool. And we, and we you know that's just going to be two hours of me talking about technical regulations, no, don't you? it'll be one hour because I've got an egg timer and it'll limit it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's going to do it for um, this episode of Stelvia Chronicles. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Chris and Al for joining me. That's all right. Thank you for having us. And um, we'll see you all next time on... Uh, there is the egg timer. We'll see you there next time on the Stelvia Chronicles. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs>